Welcome back. As we head into Hour 2, we do so with Congressman David Schweiker, representing Arizona's 1st Congressional District. He's also, among other things, the vice chair of the Joint Economic Committee of the House and Senate. David Schweiker, welcome back to the show, sir. Yeah, and that's one of those weird things we should explain. It's a weird committee. It's it's a joint committee with the Senate, so we rotate the chairmanship. Yep. So I'm chair of the House side, but... It's the rotation this time. Heinrich in the Senate gets to hold the gavel. Right. So that's how it rotates. So if that makes any sense. Yes. To no. Well, I've always I've always thought that you guys, when when Republicans do have the gavel, you can put out some great reports. Just fantastic. Oh no, no. Uh, the, the neat thing is we run parallel. So um, the Democrats write their report. I write. You know, we write our report. Um, we just finished editing it. And um, I'm going to have something hopefully very interesting for you because technically it's a report once the committee Republicans vote on it on Thursday, tomorrow. Okay. And I have a whole chapter we did because we spent months on this and we did it very conservatively. We we're very careful. We only use peer review data on what's the cost to the U.S. budget deficit and to society on obesity. Okay, let's talk. Can you talk and, a little bit about it? Can you give oh, us yeah. a little preview? And okay. And, and you know, uh, in many ways, a lot of the political class has been terrified yeah. to talk about this. But when you started to look at the mortality statistics in America, you know, prime-age workers are dying. Yeah. And it turns out, yes, substance abuses, but it, it may be actually obesity mm-hmm. was the number one killer of Americans. Okay. And if I read some of what you said last night right, it constitutes about a third of all U.S. health care spending, at least diabetes does, yes? Yeah, exactly. And so... Um, Which is almost a third of all Medicare spending, I would imagine. Yeah, it's 31% of Medicare. Okay. Because Medicare has some other costs, you know, Alzheimer's. It's, we're working on some interesting math right now. If you were... It, let's say the dear Lord... You know, gave us the the intellect to take on six Alzheimer's and diabetes. You would actually remove about sixty six or so, sixty seven percent of all Medicare spent. Okay, it's, it's stunning. It's just stunning what just one disease or two diseases do in driving the cost of healthcare. Now, when we talk about this diabetes and driving of that cost, it's primarily the type 2, right? Correct. Okay. And are we talking about the need for more medication? Or are we talking about the need to access more medication? It, or are we it, talking the need of altering behavior? Or is that kind of where a partisan divide exists? No, uh, I'm, I'm going to argue it's time to not actually think of it in silos. Okay. It's think of it from everything from should we change the farm bill? Mm-hmm. Should we change nutrition support? Should we change the available technology for people who are in government programs? Remember, the the functioning, the, you know, the majority of healthcare spend somehow touches through government, right? Um, uh, you know, the, the fact that you today can get a blood glucose monitor and put it on your wrist, yeah. and that actually may take someone who's pre-diabetic and keep them from ever becoming a type two diabetic. Mm-hmm. Um, Number three, which is actually much more controversial, and we were trying to do the math, is these new categories of weight loss drugs, which there's a whole bunch of new ones that are about to make it through the FDA. Even a pill, a one-time shot that, mm-hmm. 
that may um, supercharge islet cells to break down uh, glucose. Okay. Um, is it appropriate for government to say, okay, for the severely obese, we will give you access to certain GLP-1s um, to help you get your weight down because we actually can show it's really good for your longevity. It's really good for your ability to participate in the economy. And, also, by the way, it will also save stunning amounts of taxpayer dollars. Um, and then the fourth pillar here is it looks like um, one just got approved about 30 days ago, um, and there's a handful that are also in medical trials of ways to repopulate a body with islet cells, which produce insulin, because about a third of the folks who get their weight down but who have gone to type 2 diabetes, their bodies won't reactivate making insulin is the data set we have. Mm-hmm. And for those folks, it, the miracle would be at the end of this decade um, being able to have their bodies produce insulin again. And the punchline here is we're looking at numbers at the 10-year mark of a few trillion dollars of savings okay. to the and, and another couple trillion dollars of economic growth to GDP because folks can participate in the economy. So it could be the single biggest change to U.S. sovereign debt. Now, you and I want to, I'll speak for myself, want to run down the streets and parade this point and the points you just made. It, how serious of a resistance do you get from two particular avenues? One from a community that kind of amorphous in a sense, pardon the pun, but doesn't want us to be body shaming. But more importantly, maybe more importantly, maybe diff- more difficult, you have you have a knack for being, uh, you know, fighting fighting against lobby groups. You mentioned the farm <laughs> bill. I'm thinking the sugar industry may have something to say about this. You know, um, I think because we, we did the adult thing, instead of just shooting off our mouth, yeah. we documented, 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 we... You know, and I have five PhD economists that functionally work for me. So we spent lots of time getting this adult. And my biggest job right now is I need to sell the idea. And um, it's just so difficult on occasion because you get people that look at you and they've never thought of, oh, God, Americans are functionally dying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have states now where half the population is technically obese. Uh-huh. And morbid obesity is, in some places, is 15% of the population. Mm-hmm. These are our brothers and sisters mm-hmm. who are dying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, we finance it by the stupidity of how we've done nutrition support and other things through government. And, and disproportionately affect in certain subpopulations, too, right? Oh, yeah. I thought, yeah, right. And, okay. and, and, it's, and it's got to also understand, it's complicated. Yeah. You have some of our Native American populations right. That may actually be, it may be in their genetics. Right. You know, the ability to break down certain sugars sure. and those things. It, it's, so it's more complicated than just sure. someone's diet and habit. It, right. it, it, it's, but the solution may be much more universal. The causes are complex. Mm-hmm. Um, type 2 diabetes is, is many things. It's some, for some folks, it's partially autoimmune. For some people, it's... So I, I, I don't like getting into the argument of, well, it's this or that. No. How do we solve the problem? Mm-hmm. Let's just fixate on the fix and not the, 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 the you know, um, farks that, that where the political class wants to debate it. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But that is, I mean, there are some big industries in the food industry. Oh, yeah. 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 I, and look, I've already had some of them walk in here and explain to me how, you know, um, you know look, you know, I, I believe in absolute freedom of choice. I, I, I'm one of those even to smoking. Yeah. If you want to smoke, bless you, do it. But you should actually have to cover your own societal cost. The, gotcha. Your next-door neighbor shouldn't have to pay higher incremental insurance costs to cover your lifestyle choices. And, and, and I think that's only fair. This transfer pricing we've created in our society where I can be a bad actor and you get to pay my cost. You, um, you, you make an interesting point with that analogy on smoking because, of course, you know, the sugar industry probably didn't have anything on the tobacco industry, at least in its heyday. But the reason we got so f- so many people to stop smoking was through what you said, getting the word out, public messaging, which is kind of my wheelhouse in the messaging mm-hmm. of prevention. And, I mean, that's really what we got to – I mean, I, I, I think prevention is a big part of a lot of our problems. And, and look – um, I don't want to sound like some jerk who's, you know, touting, you know, healthy eating, healthy lifestyle, yeah, yeah. you know, because I, I, I believe in that. But part of this is much bigger. Yeah. Um, I'm terrified of the debt. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking for what is the driver of debt. It's health care costs. Mm-hmm. Functionally, 100% of the next 30 years of debt growth is healthcare and and a portion of if we backfill Social Security. Right. The rest of the budget is actually pretty flat. Okay. Um. So if that's true, you've got to be willing to talk about healthcare costs and what's the primary driver of healthcare costs. And and that's actually where you come back to the morality of the economics. Well, I'll do it with you, brother. I'll do it with you. Happy to wage this fight with you. Thank you, David Schweikert. I, I mean, I, credit to you. I mean, if it weren't for you, this wouldn't get done. If it weren't for you, this wouldn't get highlighted. It, it, it is. I do get some very weird looks, um, but um, we're making some progress. Some folks are seeing the math is real. Good. Bless you, sir. Thank you, sir. Uh, David Schweikert, representing Arizona's 1st Congressional District. You can go to his website, of course, to learn more about all of this as well. Or follow him on Twitter, at Rep David. It's a really active Twitter account with a lot of great videos of his floor speeches, which are really important as well. I'm Seth, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602 I want to get more into the story out of the Hunter Biden a collapse of his plea agreement today and a few other things. But first, on the culture front, David, we uh, you made uh, a great deal, and others did, about the fact that there were sandwiches that were being brought in today and um, by the staff or for the staff. And um, then I got an email from Diane saying and that um, irrespective of the sandwich email, that donuts would be provided to the staff. Did we have sandwiches and donuts or donuts instead of sandwiches? Stop it. That was yesterday. <laughs> that was yesterday. And yeah. it today's a new day. In our banks forever. And today that was today's a new day. Did we today's have da- did we have today donuts and relevant. donuts yes. and sandwiches or Yes, the gods did bless us with food today. What kind of sandwiches did you get? All sorts of sandwiches, but you know, you've you've harped on me for this before. Yeah. I made a mistake yeah. again. Typical. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> you can't just go into these things like a rookie. You can't make rookie I mistakes. I made a second when you, mistake you know? in getting another vegetable sandwich. I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, why do you choose the vegetable sandwiches? I don't know why they're ordering them. That's looked, called salad. It looked. It's called salad like with big croutons. Sandwich. There's no such thing as a vegetable sandwich. Come to find out. Yeah. Chunks of feta cheese that they've yeah. given a little uh, yeah. burning treatment yeah. to. And a vegetarian sandwich is a salad with croutons. Pieces of artichoke that look like chicken. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Donuts are important and instructive. I've given a lecture on manners vis-a-vis donuts. Manners are an important thing. Edmund Burke in his letters on a regicide piece I've quoted this before. It's important. Manners are more important than laws. Upon them in great measure, the laws depend. The law touches us, but here and there and now and then. Manners are what vex or soothe, corrupt or purify, exalt or debase, barbarize or refine us by a constant, steady, uniform, insensible operation like that of the air we breathe in. They, manners, give their whole form and color to our lives. According to their quality, they aid morals, they supply them, or they totally destroy them. In other words, everyone wants to fix the world, but they need to start with themselves. Don't be a Karen. Manners are important. Now, why, why do I attach that to the issue of donuts? Because of an experience I had about how to behave in a civil society vis-a-vis donuts. I was walking out of a donut store one afternoon some few years ago. And I was carrying a box of donuts that I thought I would bring to the office because sometimes I, in the past, have done that for the staff just for no good. Sometimes he's generous, folks. Yeah. So I was walking out of the donut store with a box of donuts, and it's a parking lot. And on the way to my car, I see an acquaintance walking into the parking lot to another store, to another, you know, is a out- outdoor mall. And by acquaintance, I mean an acquaintance, someone who first name we both knew of each other. Maybe he knew my profession. Maybe I knew his, but not much more than that. We shared a personal trainer. That's how we knew each other. It was a hello and goodbye every couple of weeks. A tip of the hat to one another. But he looked at my donut box. And I knew that the right thing to do, there was a right thing to do in this situation. When you're carrying a huge box of donuts, a big, a large box of donuts, you have an obligation. There is a societal obligation on you when you see an acquaintance. It's the law of the Good Samaritan, and that is to offer him a donut, especially since he was looking at it. I had that obligation. Now, he had an obligation as well. He had a civic obligation as well. Do you know what it was? To decline. Exactly. Well done. <laughs> a plus plus. His obligation was exactly that, to decline. Because if he wanted a donut, he could go get one and he could afford it. And most of the time, it's very inexpensive to get a but donut. But he failed his store. civic obligation. He failed step one he of his- He said yes? He said yes. So now my obligation, of course, is to fulfill my offer and open uh, the container. The wax paper and your hands are all sticky and- yeah. My obligation is to open the box and have him select a donut. Now, him having failed the first test, he has a second test. What is his second test now that he has failed the first one? It, it is to pick <laughs> I, I the least it. 
good donut. It is to pick the least popular donut. In an assortment of donuts, everyone knows what that is or what they are. Everyone knows you don't take the glazed, you don't take the chocolate frosted, you don't take the frosted chocolate, you don't take the sprinkles. You take the thing that doesn't even look like a donut that has maple on it. That's the one you take if you're going to fail the first test and you need a sugar fix. That's the one you take. He didn't. He didn't. Went straight for the Boston cream pie. Went straight for one of the good yeah. chocolate frosted donuts. Declare. And this is, you know, how society falls apart through the law of donuts. Anyway, it's uh, it's a lesson I learned. Uh, did, Are you still acquaintances? No, no. The, the no. law of the donuts. Yeah, no. The manner, the man, the man. We we just we couldn't share the same. We couldn't shame the same moral universe. You so, said you shared a personal trainer. Right? Yeah, or that. You, uh, or that. Yeah, or tell that. The personal yeah. trainer. <laughs> yeah, or that. Or that. But I think I'm right about that rule on you owe someone the offer. They should turn it down because, you know, they can get their own if they want, but you all kind of did your thing. And then if he's not going to turn it down because he just can't help it, he's short on dough financial money sorry for the pun if he's short on it he can turn it down he he could take one but then take the least good one and we all do know what they are we all know what the least good one is so much so that there's a there's a there's an inarticulated fourth obligation going on here on behalf of the donut store which is when you ask for an assortment of donuts they should not put that in the box they should not put in the bear clause. They should not. That's a new lesson, Bill. We haven't added that. There is an obligation on the donut vendor as well. They should not put a maple glazed donut in. They got to give you the variety, though. They that is, the they, no one wants it. Nobody wants it. No one, then they shouldn't the do it. They should not do it. Anyway. You know, I'm, I'm surprised you didn't mention anything about people leaving halves of donuts and slivers. Of I can't even go into our kitchen anymore because of the Bahama <laughs> attitude. As, 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 the Bahamas in this, yeah. I can't even go in anymore. I can't even look at what happens when there's collective food put out in this office. I want. I do want to put up. I do want to put up the Edmund Burke sign. The Edmund Burke quotes. We'll end the segment with it. It's that important. Manners are of more importance than laws. Upon them, in a great measure, the laws depend. The law touches us, but here and there and now and then. Manners are what vex or soothe, corrupt or purify, exalt or debase, barbarize or refine us by a constant, steady, uniform, insensible operation like that of the air we breathe in. They give their whole form and color to our lives according to the quality they aid morals, they supply them, or they totally destroy them. The Law of Donuts. Be right back. Are global leaders developing solutions that promote freedom and equality of life, or are they creating problems, enforcing solutions that only benefit the elite? Midas Gold Group believes it's the latter. From draconian COVID restrictions, the decimation of small businesses, and changed election laws, which may have led to a Biden presidency, Midas Gold Group believes your finances will be next. Under the guise of protecting you, you'll get monetary expansion, national debt, and reduced purchasing power. And their central bank digital currency will virtually eliminate your savings and purchasing privacy. The answer? Convert a portion of your savings or IRA to physical gold and silver. Precious metals are a private currency used to store wealth throughout history. Thousands of you have trusted the veterans of Midas Gold Group as they're fighting 
for your financial freedom and privacy. Call Midas Gold Group at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Or check them out online at MidasGoldGroup.com. MidasGoldGroup.com, the only precious metals dealer that Seb Gorka and I trust. Hunter Biden was trying to think of, I mean, there are so many characters in, um, in literature that could abide to him, could apply to him, excuse me. And uh, so many Shakespearean, of course. I was actually thinking he's maybe perhaps more from the genre of comic books. And if it weren't for the venality and salaciousness of his character, I would compare him to Pigpen from the Peanuts comic strips in the sense that there's this cloud always around him. There's always a cloud around him. Now, in Pigpen's case, it was uh, dust or dirt. But there's a different kind of dirt that seems to have attached itself to Hunter Biden, and that's probably too passive of a voice. He is someone who has what Thomas Wolfe once called nostalgia de les bouis, which is the nostalgia for mud. He he actually seeks out – he has the character that seeks out living in dirt, living in mud, living in grime, and – Of course, of course one wishes him well, and I'm very attentive and sensitive to the articles about that and about the piling on for someone who's going through a disease. But some of this is not the behavior of the typical disease or disease of addiction. Many of us know people who go through addiction, and it's not like this. This is a particular form of low character and low character behavior. Whether, well, I don't want to go through the list. It's nearly just too disgusting to walk through. You all, or most of you all, know it. That all having been said, you just knew that even a plea deal, like we have been lamenting as seemingly unfair, had the potential to go awry today because seemingly everything he touches just turns to mud, just turns to mud, or does now, does now. Things have caught up to him where they do now. So Hunter Biden's plea deal with the Justice Department on two misdemeanor tax charges today fell apart, and they fell apart, again, passive voice, too passive. They fell apart because the federal judge overseeing the case said she wasn't accepting it. She had concerns, as Brett Johnson was telling us, about the constitutionality of the diversion agreement that would allow him to avoid prison on a felony firearms possession charge. And she didn't accept the plea deal that Hunter Biden pleaded not guilty to at the end of the hearing because of other shenanigans and other oddities here. Now, Hugh Hewitt, who is, of course, our colleague here on Salem and is heard every morning, Monday through Friday here, is also a professor of law at Chapman in California. And he had a really good and definitive, I think, column in the Washington Post on all of this on Monday. I had said when the plea deal was initially struck that it's a very rare circumstance where a judge will reject it. 
and it is very rare. It's not unheard of, but it's rare. Hugh Hewitt was making the case in his Washington Post piece that if there was occasion to breach that commonplace, to breach the rarity, this would be it. When we come back, I'll tell you his reasoning why. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Remind me, young David, if you will, to at some point in the nearest of futures address the issue of Paul Simon the Singer's protestations over being a religious man. Would you? Sure. Okay. And the marker of this is his new album, Seven Psalms. Remind me to come back to that very point. Um. Let me do. Let me explain the law per Hugh Hewitt, as he did so well in the Washington Post on Monday. He said, as I said, mostly judges accept federal prosecutors' plea agreements with their defendants. On rare occasions, a federal ju- we're obviously talking about the Hunter Biden situation. On rare occasions, a federal judge charged with reviewing a plea agreement will reject the terms of the agreement. In a number of such cases, the disparity between the sentencing guidelines and the agreed punishment is so great that it catalyzes the decision of the judge. It encourages the judge to question the agreement or reject it. As Professor Hewitt, as he's writing here, puts it, the terms must pass the judicial sniff test. This is why we had such a natural reaction. You know, the sentencing guidelines and let me just depart from the column for a moment. The, sentencing, the sentencing guidelines and the nature of the offenses Hunter Biden engaged in, which was tax fraud, not tax avoidance, tax fraud, uh, tax evasion, um, and, uh, and, and federal gun charge. The reason that so many on our side were so offended by the plea agreement, that is to say nothing on the gun charge but a diversion and the felonies pled down in the federal tax charges to misdemeanors with no time served. The reason that we were so uh, – that we so objected to it was kind of a natural sense of natural law and justice over the thing, the res, the R-E-S as they would say in Latin. The very nature of this law, of these laws, didn't pass not only a judicial sniff test – but didn't pass the sniff test of common sense and natural justice. We all knew that an injustice was taking place here when we saw the plea agreement. It's a nice, unique thing about the American people, which I commonly say, often will say, has, with all our disagreements about everything we diverge on, still have, I think, an element, a notion of fairness that beats in each of our breasts beats in each of our hearts. Fairness. Fairness. And we knew that the laws broken here and the punishment for them, the response to them, breached fundamental fairness. Something was not right. By nature, it just wasn't right. That's beyond the statutory and sentencing guidelines. It's something bigger than the statutory and sentencing guidelines, if you'll work with me on this. It shows you how unjust it was. It shows you how unjust it was. 
didn't just not pass the judicial sniff test. It didn't pass the natural fairness sniff test that beats in our breasts. All right, back to Professor Hewitt. Hunter Biden's doozy of a plea deal over tax and gun charges is ripe for rejection, he writes. Now, again, he wrote this on Monday. If U.S. District Judge Mary Ellen Noreka of Delaware needs a role model for judicial independence when she handles the Biden deal, she might look to Judge Eminent Sullivan's action in the case against Michael Flynn. You remember he was the national security advisor for Donald Trump. Judge Sullivan tossed out an agreement by Attorney General William Barr and the Justice Department to drop its prosecution in an extraordinary circus soon short-circuited by a pardon for Flynn from President Trump. A judge should respect the judgment of prosecutors, but the gavel is not a rubber stamp. It's not a rubber stamp. Biden's checkered life is not on the docket in Delaware. His proposed plea bargain is extraordinarily lenient. The deal, if blessed by Judge Noreka, ought to earn a significant bonus to Biden's lawyers. It's that much of a sweetheart deal. U.S. Attorney David Weiss recommends probation for failure to pay taxes, two misdemeanor counts related to income that President Biden's son received in 2017 and 2018, plus pretrial diversion to deal with the gun charge. He will likely avoid jail time if Noriega signs off on the deal ABC News reported. Put aside various charges that prosecutors might have filed, but instead bargained away. Feeding just the charges before the court into the sentencing guidelines produces a prison term of at least two years and three months. The guidelines take a very dim view of tax fraud. Quote, the criminal tax laws are designed to protect the public interest in preserving the integrity of the nation's tax system. The Judicial Sentencing Commission has explained, quote, criminal tax prosecutions serve to punish the violator and promote respect for the tax laws. Because of the limited number of tax prosecutions relative to the estimated incidence of such violations, deterring others from violating the tax laws is a primary consideration. Close quote. That's the federal government sentencing guidelines. Has anyone commented, stepping away again from Professor Hewitt's text here, has anyone commented on the added injustice or insult of this sweetheart deal taking place from the son of the president, whose major news, whose major efforts, whose major policy when it comes to tax law is the addition of tens of thousands of IRS agents to enforce the tax law. Has anyone commented on that irony? 87,000 new IRS agents... I say put them all on Hunter Biden if you're serious about going after tax cheats, which is what Joe Biden keeps talking about. Start with your son. Start with your son. Professor Hewitt says two whistleblowers testified in Congress last week that the IRS recommended that Hunter Biden be charged with felonies in connections with tax years 2014, 2018, and 2019. Do you know what that gets you? That gets you imprisonment of 27 to 33 months. Instead, Biden is dealing with misdemeanor tax violations that carry potential imprisonment up to one year and a fine not to exceed $25,000. That was all wiped away in this agreement, too. Not only were felonies avoided, the misdemeanors will not come with any penalty. None. So the president's son has already been the 
beneficiary of considerable lenience. Bargaining away even token jail time on the tax charges goes beyond leniency and out into outright unfairness, as does putting the gun charge out of the judge's review if she accepts the proposal. That's the other interesting irony. David, I lost my clock. How much time do I have? My bet. My fault. One minute. Thank you. The other dramatic irony is not just that Joe Biden is pushing stricter tax law enforcement, but stricter gun law enforcement. Talk about two different rules for the American people. One for 332 million and one for anyone last named Biden. That's what stinks about this thing. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Thinking about the economy, you think about bank failures and stock markets volatility. People are still talking about a recession on the horizon. And, of course, the inflation, which is far from transitory, as Secretary Yellen said it would be. What if you could invest, however, in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed? It's a portfolio offered up by Y-Refi where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate. Y-Refi is local. I encourage you to stop by their offices. They're on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there a few times and you won't get a sales pitch. No one's going to ask you to sign anything. It's a great team. And when you meet with them, you'll see why I think so. And you'll see why you can trust them just as I do as well. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm where you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34. 888-YREFI-34. There's an argument, of course, for um, term limits, as you know. I don't need to explain to this audience the argument for term limits. And um, part of that, you know, would come to play when you look at the unfortunate health issues that were exposed today by Senate leader, or at least Republican leader, minority leader, Mitch McConnell, we, of course, wish him very well and all the best, but something's not wrong there. And, you know, it is time to start thinking about people serving beyond their abilities. And it's not just Democrats. and It's not just at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. But also there's something to be said about inexperience and maybe not thinking things through as well as you should. A lot of us have been very impressed with young congressman from Florida named Byron Donalds, and at one point there was even talk of making him Speaker of the House. And um, he just said something very foolish today. He just said something very foolish about those African-American standards in Florida, criticizing them. Um, scholarship isn't, uh, isn't what it should be to criticize those. When you're on the side of Vice President Harris and not on the side of the likes of William Allen, whom we interviewed yesterday, you need to recheck 
what side you should be on. All right, a lot more coming up. We'll be right back.